Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrop. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. My dream, my hope for this show is that this is a place where you come to get inspired. You get inspired by these interesting and meaningful conversations, thought-provoking ideas. I hope you come here to be entertained. We are going to tell stories, stories of adventure, stories of exploration around consciousness and human evolution and all the wacky, weird places we find ourselves in, in this quest. And I hope that this is a place where you come to be challenged challenging your thinking, challenging your assumptions. We're not going to shy away from controversial topics. We're going to explore different opinions here. We're going to do that respectfully in this crazy wisdom community. Today's guest, I am so excited to welcome. It's Bill Kauth. He is the co-founder of the Mankind Project, which has touched tens of thousands of men's lives around the world, bringing men's work and healthy masculinity back to the world. Bill's a remarkable human. You'll hear about his work, his view on the state of men, state of the world, but you also feel his heart. And I'm thrilled to welcome Bill to the show. My friend, Bill Kauth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Luke. Good to be here. So Bill, your work getting the Mankind Project off the ground many years ago and subsequent passion around building community and some new endeavors, you know, part of this show is really understanding what happens for people and uh, when they build something big in the world, when they build something meaningful, uh, where does that come from in them? So I'm curious for you, <laughs> why, why so many years ago did you, did you endeavor to start something like the Mankind Project? Whoa, big one. So, <laughs> you know, I discovered uh, inner work. I discovered group work uh, when I was in graduate school and um, I was studying educational psychology. But in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at that time, there was an equivalent little place of Esalon. So it brought in, you know, top shelf trainers and the various new modalities, which were all fresh at that time, you know, bioenergetics and gestalt. And I got deeply into gestalt. So I, I learned more from that, that growth center than I did from the university, which was a good place to read a lot of books. But so by the time I got out of there, I was just uh, juiced and passionate to, to do groups and build groups. And I got a job at a social service center building groups, dozens of them. The women's groups are easy. I did 30 of those and 10 men's groups and one shy people's group that nobody showed up for. And true story. <laughs> and uh, I became a psychotherapist. And I loved that. Boy, I wanted to do that more than anything. And, uh, you know, went through all the, the, the loops necessary to become a psychotherapist. And, practice 10 years about halfway through that well this is important too i, I identified as a feminist therapist hmm. because that was the powerful social force energy during that time and i had enough uh, you know acuity to, 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 to know that so i identified as a feminist therapist and i got invited to the biannual milwaukee wisconsin feminist therapist association meeting and i went and uh out of the 125 feminist therapists i'm pretty sure i was the only guy in about the middle of the second day, I'm standing in the lobby. And because I'd done so much inner work, so much gestalt work, 
I had the eyes to see evolved people. And I'm standing there looking around and going, whoa, these humans are awesome. They've really done their work. They're beautiful. And suddenly it was like, and, and God damn it, somebody's got to do something for the men. Whoa. Oh. It, was, it was like this divine call came and I tried to push it away, but it was in. And I became like a madman from that point on. Uh, I couldn't do anything else. It was like I was just driven. Uh, <laughs> and I was about 42 at the time. And I had a couple of friends. One was a university professor named Ron Herring, who I'd been friends with through the Gestalt work for years. And I went and talked to him. I said, Ron, we got to do something for the men. And he said, geez, Bill, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, but I got five sons. Whatever you're up to, I'm in. And then I had another new friend who, uh, his name was Rich Tosi. And very different from he worked for General Motors. He was an executive with a tie and everything. And he had been in the Marine Corps, the United States Marine Corps for 10 years. Very different from me, kind of this hippie therapist. And I went and talked to him and he was like, oh, geez, I had no idea. But, you know, I like your passion, Bill. You know, whatever you're up to, I'm in. And that led to him getting his own divine call. So the three of us hunkered down. This was uh, the middle of 84. And we kind of hunkered down. We we allowed our genius to flow through us, and we were absolute peers. There was no hierarchy among the three of us. And for whatever reason, we were all deeply committed to this. And each of us had our own genius. And none of the one of us, not an individual of us, could have done this. But the three of us kind of weaving our, our genius together, kind of like a, a, a braid is much stronger than one, you know, mm-hmm. one braid. Uh, we evolved this training and launched it in January of 85. You know, ran it a few more times in 85. We recognized right away it was so powerful. It was so potent that we just, you know, find, found the energy to keep, keep it rolling. And uh, because it was so powerful, it, uh, it spread rather quickly. It spread to Minneapolis and Chicago. And these guys started coming in from other states. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, it had spread to the coasts and jumped overseas. And, and now we have roughly 85,000 graduates around the world. And we're in a, a dozen or 15 countries. And uh, the guys from Spain have just translated my book into Spanish. <laughs> it's, moving into, it's already in France. They're moving in, into Spain. And Mexico is really cooking right now. As you know, Luke, being yeah. one of the guys, we, we have a follow-up from this intensive training we call the integration groups, which is a, basically a men's support group, which is what I wrote my book on. And uh, this is one of the things I'm proud of now. We have literally, we have 10,000 men that sit in a circle. They sit in a group mm. every single week and check in and, you know, practice, you know, becoming even more emotionally literate, learning to trust each other, learning to trust themselves, learning to love. And that, that energy is spinning out into the world constantly. So. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Love the origin story. And for those that aren't familiar with the Mankind Project and the experience, the New Air Training Adventure, can you share a little bit about the elements and kind of the philosophy and some of the experience that's that men go through as they have this um, initiation weekend? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a hero's journey where they, they go into a, a descent. We, we kind of take them down. It gets a little dark. It's scary. Some men leave. They can't even, they can't even holler, you know, color at the first part. But the men that hang in there will... Um, get opportunity after opportunity to open their hearts and learn what we call emotional literacy, just experientially. We don't, we don't mm-hmm. teach it academically. It's, the whole thing is pretty much just experiential. And there's an opportunity to go very, very deep into uh, an emotional cathartic process we simply call guts. That's an opportunity for each man to do his own 
deep shadow work, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of the potency of that is it's done in a in a group. So the men get to see the other men's pain, their anger, their sadness, and there's an enormous bonding healing that happens with that. So that by the time we get to the third day, which is the final Sunday, we've been calling that joy day almost since the beginning, because mm. uh, joy is the experience of becoming a more complex being. And this training is so intense that men are becoming more complex at so many different levels, you know, cognitively, emotionally, um, re relationship wise, that, that um, by the time they're saying goodbye, they're, they're just in this in pure tears of joy. So it's a very potent thing. It, it, that's it, it widespread around the world effortlessly. We don't market at all other than just one man at a time. Yeah. I mean, one of the things for me, you know, I, I had the great uh, privilege and uh, just pure luck in some ways that my father invited me to this experience when I was 22 years old. Actually, he says he invited me, you know, for several years earlier. I don't ever remember those invitations. I remember the one at 22 years old. And for me, it was a very clear demarcation. I went in a boy and I came out a man in the most classic sense. You know, this was a, an initiation into manhood and, and the underpinnings for me are, are, you know, these elements that you describe around emotional integrity. And there's just a, a beautiful community of powerful men that are committed to living lives of service and, mm. and mission to something greater than themselves. And there's a, a real focus on how we're contributing, you know, back to the people around us, the people we love. And, and, um, fundamentally though, for me, it was very much my first experience, a meaningful experience of a rites of passage, right. Of, of, yeah. um, kind of a ceremonial marking of, of becoming a man. And, you know, our culture has kind of pushed that aside. And, and when I look at the work of the mankind project, it's very clearly, you know, re, introducing some of these, these ceremonial kind of ritual experiences for men. I'm just curious, was that kind of the intention all along or, or how do you, how do you relate to that idea of this being a rite of passage? <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, the guiding phrase that the three of us went into was we need to do something for men. Mm -hmm. That's how sophisticated it was, <laughs> but our hearts and our minds were open enough so that we allowed this thing to flow through us which in retrospect, guys started recognizing rather quickly as an initiation. It had all of the, the descent and the ordeal and the return. It had all those elements of the initiation right in there, even mm -hmm. though we didn't, we didn't cognitively, academically know about rites of passage <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or any, any of that. It was, it was so pure in a way. It was like it was channeled. It just, mm -hmm. it just was. It was, it was yeah. even as archetypally or something. Let me mention one, one more thing that you alluded to there, which, is, mm -hmm. which I failed to mention, which is so significant, is that we actually built a transpersonal mission into it right from the beginning. There was mm -hmm. something Ron and I had done so much of this rather sophisticated spiritual, psychological inner work that we knew that, that we built it in right from the beginning. And transpersonal means that you have a mission that is way bigger than you are. It's not to serve me or even my family. It's, it's, it's to serve the world in a way. So each man walks out of there with a transpersonal mission. And very few of them actually get it at that point. They really have to go and they have to get into their integration group. And they have to do their inner work for several years often before they attain the, the sort of um, psycho-spiritual sophistication 
to even get the concept of a transpersonal mission. And I'm saying that very specifically because I know mm-hmm. that's what you work with, Luke. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's beautiful. You're helping helping men take that impulse and really make it manifest. Yeah, that's wonderful. Do you do you uh, carry a mission statement for yourself at this point in your life? Yeah, yeah. I, I always have something. Uh, currently, it has to do with helping people um, learn to live from their gift. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. We all have something to give and damn near it's so rare. I, you know, we talked about that earlier. I'm, I'm somebody that lived my gift all my adult life. I'm so fortunate that uh, I had a, an entrepreneurial dad who, uh, you know, he didn't cognitively, again, it was experiential learning. He was such a, he's a, he's a farm kid who became a very successful business guy. And he just, he followed his own, his own. So I, I, I watched and I learned, uh, I learned that entrepreneurial thing and just, just followed it and uh, damned if it didn't work. <laughs> so hmm. Hmm. I've been very fortunate. Yeah. Wonderful. Wanting to go back for a moment to 1984, the mid eighties uh-huh. and, and like the, can you, for those of us that were maybe not here yet, or for me, I was, <laughs> I was too early to know, too young to know what really was happening. Right. Uh-huh. But like, Tell us, kind of paint a picture of the culture, of the state of, of men, of, you know, there were some figures that were coming online. I think about Robert Bly's book um, yeah. was, was just coming on the scene and, and some of the work of uh, Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette and mm-hmm. kind of the, the Jungian view of the masculine psyche. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, what were some of the, the inspiration, the, the figures, what were the, the textures of that moment when this, this thing mm. came into being? That was uh, the era of the, of the, corporate, the corporate man. And there was something about my generation. We were already angry. It's like we were looking into the future and we could see what our parents had been through. And there was an awful lot of us that just didn't want it. But we, didn't, we also didn't know how to recreate anything else. So we were just, we were a, yeah, just a pretty angry generation. And we didn't know what to do with it. Then the Vietnam War came roaring in, and that allowed a focus for this kind of diffuse anger. Hmm. And I think that's part of what the women's movement was also, was it was this, this, this kind of felt sense of powerlessness that needed a voice. It needed, a, it needed an expression. So I think that the, uh, the men's work that we created was pure empowerment of the sovereign individual. Wonderful. When you think about the state of men, if we roll the tape forward now, we're in the year 2022, and it's been a generation or two since that moment. And I'm just curious, like, what are you, what's your view of, of the state of being a man in this, this moment? (laughs) Honestly, it's, I, I don't know. I do know that the system this just really scares me, frankly, Luke. Um, the system is becoming so oppressive with, uh, with the lies that we've witnessed over the last couple of years, the, the, the lockdowns, all that stuff. I don't know. I, I've, I've talked to you know, some young people, and I've even heard, you know, what a terrible time to be young. And here's the other thing I do know, though, is that I'm on the, uh, the MKP, Mankind Project International Call, every single month. And they report in every month what's happening in their country, what's happening in France and South Africa and Australia. And what they're finding is that the young people are pouring in right now. When we first started, it was all our age. Groups. It was all those guys in their you know, 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. But now it's, uh, and I've noticed it at the welcome homes, uh, which is the uh, after the training 
men get together to kind of be welcomed home into their community is that they, they, there's way more young guys than uh, I remember in the past. So it, it, it appears, if I were to use that as a, as a first-person observation, that generation is really seeking something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is partly why you and I became friends, um, you know, a few years ago, maybe, I don't know, more, more than a few. <laughs> Bill was kindly pointing out my silver hair that is new <laughs> since last he saw me. <laughs> um, but, you know, in the early 2000s, you and I met at a, at a men's conference in the Midwest, the Heartland Men's Conference in Columbia, Missouri. And, wow. And you, what, I, what I really appreciate about you, Bill, is that you always see the best in what's possible in the people around you. And there's this thing where you kind of, you, you collect people. And then you kind of put them together, right? Yeah. And, and 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 to see what kind of alchemical reaction can can create the next thing that's needed for this time. And I've seen you do this so many times. And I was yep. fortunate yep. to be one of these ingredients <laughs> <laughs> back in the early 2000s. And I remember we met, we had a summit. And the question was, what do young men need in the year 2002? And we met over a weekend up in uh, Windsor, Ontario in Canada and asked... Mm-hmm. What, what, what do young men need? And that question inspired us to create some experiences and a bit of a training for young people and, and that you helped us, you know, helped mentor. And, and for me, this was the first experience I had of like really squarely landing my personal mission, which was to offer experiences of transformation to people. Right. And we created this organization called beyond the machine and it ended up, right. We started with thinking what a young men need. And then we, we quickly realized it's what a young people need. What does this new generation need around rites of passage and really mentorship and, and, um, finding elder wisdom to guide them into living lives of purpose, this transpersonal mission that you described and a real blessing for me. I mean, the work, I think, that we did at that time continues to to live on, even though the, you know, the organization is no longer here, but um, I still get emails about once a year from somebody that says, Oh my gosh, thank you so much for the, you know, the experience of beyond the machine. And that's because of you, Bill, you, you found some great ingredients, put us all together. And it really, uh, you know, some of us, it's, you know, for me, it just changed my whole trajectory of what I was doing with my life. So thank you. That was such fun. And, and, you know, you were one of those astonishingly bright young men that I would love to network with several others like that. Just create something powerful and magical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, st- I still remember that beyond the machine just so fondly. Um, I remember being one of the greeters and uh, Tom Shelston and I were, as the, as the initiates would come in, we would pretend we were uh, Smith. We'd say, so Mr. Anderson, <laughs> yes. why are you here? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We used, we used uh, the story of the matrix as the hero's journey analogy, which is, you know, really for my generation, that is the kind of the primary metaphor. I think that most people relate to, right. That we're all uh, just batteries plugged into the machine. And there's, there is a liberation that comes when we can unplug. And the more we become addicted to tech, I think the more relevant this, this metaphor becomes. Right. Um, So so this is part of what we're doing is is helping people unplug from the matrix and part of the concept of this this podcast even this community that we're building is what are these very jarring intense unorthodox experiences that we find ourselves in that pull us out of the slumber mm. that pull us out of being a zombie pull us out of the matrix 
um, and into a life of deeper meaning and purpose. And for me, you know, the Mankind Project was important. I'm curious if there were experiences you've had of these moments of like kind of shock or, or uh, moments of, of intensity of initiation that, you know, we might call crazy wisdom. Yeah, boy, there's, there's been a lot of them. I, I got two things to say that one is um, a guy named Jamie Wheel that's been writing some beautiful stuff on joy. Do you know his stuff? Yes, of course. Oh, yeah, brilliant. terrific, terrific stuff. And what he's basically saying is that we have to recapture the rapture. That's the title of his book is recapture the rapture. And what he means is joy, which I alluded to earlier. It's the experience mm-hmm. of becoming a slightly more complex being. Uh, and that could be, you know, gustatory or auditory or visual, you know, sunsets, a new food. And we, we, we kind of have this moment of like, oh, and it's, it's a joyous moment. And, you know, if we pay attention, we, chances are if we follow that, we, we, we create joy in our lives. So anything that does that, and, and boy, that's fading. Hmm. Everything has been commercialized and co-opted. Last evening, I heard something that just moved me to tears. It was there was a musician in town who I've come to really appreciate. And I've enjoyed singing with him. And he got to the last song. He said, you know, we're going to sing Imagine by John Lennon. And he said, there's that there's that Zoe right there in the back. Uh, <laughs> he said, you know, the words of this, this song have been co-opted and commercialized in the most egregious ways. I use that as kind of a metaphor for, for, for what's going on in the world that we live in right now. And what you said about uh, technology is just sucking the energy out of this whole generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it scares me. I, I don't know where it's going. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think one of the things that I try to bring to my own personal practices around this, I'm curious what you do, but, um, but also, you know, most of my programs now, we spend as much time outside as possible, right? So there's something about just being in the forest, being in the cold water, being in the wild, being in, in the ocean, whatever it is that is, we immerse ourselves in, in the forest bath and the earth heals as challenged as the, the ecosystem is right now, as the environment is, the earth is still a place that can heal us and, and it doesn't take long. So, um, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not in my cold mountain stream, you know, half, half an hour from my house, at least once a week, I start to feel a little crazy, right? Wow. Good for you. (laughs) Are there things that you do to kind of, um, digest and metabolize the clutter of the digital world? Yeah, I, I sit quiet often and I sit outside. I've got a place up, you know, in the backyard that um, I've kind of cleared out. And I just, I just sit there quiet. It's, it's tr- the trees all around. We've got this gorgeous, big, you know, 150-year-old oak tree sitting there. And I, I get the hugger once in a while. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> One of those Beautiful. things. Take walks. And like Thursday, I play Frisbee with a couple of buddies. Not ultimate. We just play catch. We're elders. We're ge- it's geezer disc. Two rules. <laughs> no diet. Having and no saying I'm sorry. We've been doing it for 10 years. It's such a joy. So that gets me out and running around and getting a little cardio going. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I do all those things. Yeah. Great. Well, if we go back to the story of just the arc of your contributions. So you you spun up the Mankind Project with some some buddies, and that started to really have legs and started to really get some traction. And in that, you wrote a book, which I highly recommend mm-hmm. to men and women, anybody that wants to do some meaningful um some work, maybe you could say a word or two about the book. And then I'd love to talk about your community work that you, you, you spent a few decades working on. Yeah. It looks, it looks a lot like this. It was originally picked up uh, by a miracle uh, by St. Martin's press in New York. And I was this absolute nobody in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but 
some guy from their company called me because he wanted it into the training. Mm-hmm. And I said, Are, and I, I had, I had read, written this, you know, Kinko spiral bound thing <laughs> on, on how to build, build men's groups. And he, he, I, he said, yeah, send me that book. So I sent it to him and uh, another, you know, miracles factor in here. Right. Yes. So they're at the, at the, at the weekly, um, editors meeting in which they present manuscripts of the other editors and get feedback right so he presents my book you know on the 20th floor of one of those buildings there and 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 there's some guy at the table who's uh his name is ralph Blum, and he did the book of the runes way back when mm. and he happened to be from san diego happened to be in new york happened to be at that meeting pushing this the advanced book of the runes and my book comes across he went oh my god men's work he said you guys men's work is so hot right now and bill Kauf, oh, Give them 75 thou up front. <laughs> so they took they accepted my book. Ralph Blum never met me, but two weeks before that, he had done the New Warrior Training Adventure in San Diego, right? Huh. And he was impressed enough. So Wild. He got me an absolute nobody published by a big New York house. And yeah. and that book, this doggone thing, stayed in print for 15 years. So it sold, mm. it still kept selling all, all over the world. Yeah. So when when it uh, it's, the book is called A Circle of Men. And um, and so I got my rights back and I I hunkered down for a couple of years and I wrote the last 30 pages, which is the history of Mankind Project from the perspective of a founder. Just all sorts of splendid stories that, uh, you know, about how how it's evolved little by little. And literally hundreds of beautiful, powerful, brilliant men that have added in to the work to make it really spectacular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. I'll send you a copy. <laughs> I have, I have a few. I still give them out. <laughs> so, but I'll always take another copy, especially one from you, Bill. Um, great. So the Mankind Project began to really blossom, kind of in the '90s, and filled out in in the 2000s. Yeah. The book came out, and when I met you, you um, you started to bring some different um, offerings within that community, and that also blossomed and one of them was you came across this old there this this kind of charismatic zen master a man named junpo dennis kelly roshi and um tell us a little bit about it and this man had a profound impact on my life and uh, we just yeah. lost him last year right and no, um, no. and very very uh, sad that we've lost him but my goodness uh, one of these rare bright shining stars who just like you impacted thousands, tens of thousands of humans. And I'm just curious, like, how did that kind of collaboration and relationship start? Oh, this, this is actually a really cool story. Um, I moved uh, from Milwaukee to Northern Wisconsin near Green Bay. And there was an old friend of mine used to live in the same house with us as Bill and Mary, you know, and they had moved up there because she was a doctor and that she had a practice in Appleton. So Bill and I got together and we brought a couple other men. He had to drive 50 miles north. I had to drive 50 miles south to Green Bay to have our men's group. <laughs> mm, wow. It was great. And he, and he kept saying, yeah, Bill, you know, you got to meet the Zen master. Mark. Bill, you got to meet this. And finally he said, you know, Jumpo is coming into Green Bay. He's going to do a sashin and you're invited. And he said, you can come anytime and leave anytime you want, which was the invitation. It was the only invitation I would have accepted. <laughs> so I went for exactly 24 hours. You know, I got there at noon, left at noon the next day. And he kept calling me in for Dakasan, which, you know, is the conversation between the, the teacher and the students. And I you know he was just trying to get to know me. So I said, Jumpo, let's just do lunch. You know, so we do lunch a week later in Green Bay. And he says, you know, 
I'm a I'm a really really skilled master. I'm you know a lineage holder in this in the in the Zrinzai warrior Zen, and I keep working with beginners. And damn it, I wish I had like warriors to work with. I said, well, dang, Jumpo, I just happen to have about ten thousand of them. <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, it was ninety nine, I think in ninety nine, I set up an opportunity and I called you know David Carr and Tosi mm-hmm. and. Uh, Oh, oh my gosh. A whole bunch of the really, really uh, wonderful players. And we, uh, we did the first uh, hollow bone sit that led to the whole, to it, the whole order. It, uh, yeah, it, it, it bore a, a Zen order that still is thriving today, even as Junpo has, has moved on, passed on and um, expanded beyond just uh men and is open to all humans and it's a it's this beautiful blending of traditional renzai zen with yeah. kind of modern day american psychology yeah. and you know what i love about that body of work is it really does blend it's not just traditional zen sit down shut up wake mm-hmm. up it also blends the emotional integration work and the emotional healing work that we do so well within men's work right and uh junpo always talked about you can't just sit you have to heal the wounds of the past you have to eat your own shadows you have to metabolize the wounds of the past if you want to deepen in your own consciousness and so what a what a beautiful meeting of the minds for the two of you to come together and spin up such a i mean this thing still is 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 thriving so i recommend people checking out that work as well the hollow bones order mondo zen is part of that work right yeah, yeah. No, I just love that he was able to integrate the, the spiritual and the psychological. He was he was really a pioneer in that. And I'm finding that there's some new uh, spiritual teachers like Matt Kahn that are doing that same thing. They're integrating it just beautifully, a full-blown, you know, sophisticated metaphysics along with get down, heal your wounds kind of psychology. Great. It's real healthy. Wonderful. To the planet. Yeah. And, and so then, so you, you helped to get this going and there's some other kind of smaller groups that that started to thrive within the organization oh. of the mankind project yes well you know um the other one was the warrior monk you know oh yes of course i, I felt inspired i felt inspired to start that in 95 and our friend dan mckee came in early yeah. and i did it for 10 years and it was uh it had all the spiritual components of, of, of meditations of eating walking singing dancing sitting quiet all those things that allowed uh, a container to do this very sophisticated work on um, on paradox to be able to learn to live in paradox to be able to hold uh, opposite beliefs and then allow the inner wisdom to put forward the one that felt best you know it was, it was amazing yeah and i did that for 10 years and then dan mckee took it over and he's been running it almost 15 years now yeah yeah a really good job every so often i see somebody with a warrior talisman that's got the little monk talisman i said hey you, you did the monk. Said, yeah i did that a couple of years ago great stuff but i still learning from it so yeah, that's kind of what i do is I, I get these things going and i give them away and yeah, you, you've you've done this so I've seen you do this so many times, and yeah, the, the warrior monk was it was also another profound profound experience for me. It's where I first discovered meditation, and which wow. led me to a path of going to school at Naropa University and studying oh. you know studying Buddhism. And you know, I think there's many of us that come in doing some sort of emotional work, and in that process, we discover contemplative practices, yogic practices, oh, yeah. that that shift the focus from just healing the wounds of the past mm-hmm. to living more of a present day life where we're we're um, 
we're transmitting out the what we want to transmit out to the world right and i think that's that's the great uh blending of emotional shadow work with yogic work contemplative practices where we're not just um stuck in the constant healing cycle where mm -hmm. we're actually living our lives in a meaningful way and and um so it's so important to get past the constant healing cycle i'm just so glad to hear you say that mm -hmm. we get yeah. stuck in that we get, it used to be called woundology but matt kind calls it something else and it's like get on with your life yeah yeah right on right on so you give them away and somehow they still sustain you and and uh, i've watched you do this <laughs> many times yeah. um the next i think the next chapter that i understand uh, in, in your contributions was to really focus on small community building. And I, I you had this project um, for many years called the Lifeboats Project. I'm just kind of curious, like, tell us a little bit about what was behind that and your view of like community building. Yeah. When I met Zoe at Burning Man in, in, um, in 05. We so it's your, your partner, your wife, yes? Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we, we discovered that we both had quite a passion for community building. So we, we began focusing that you know, learning and educating ourselves. And we wrote this book together. We need each other, which is grounded in that. That title is grounded in Charles Eisenstein's work. We brought him here in 09, learning, learning to live the gift again and, and, and build community. So we, we, we continued to work on that. Charles has just written a, a fabulous, another fabulous book, by the way, it's called mm -hmm. Coronation. I saw, I just, I just bought a couple dozen copies of it. Great. Very important book. Very important to me. Anyway, she and I, you know, got on task and we went around the country, even, even around the world, just doing uh, trainings on how to build community. And we built, uh, built our own about 10 years ago. We, we, we sorted through a bunch of people that we knew and invited them in. We did a training, like a 15-hour training in, uh, you know, emotional awareness and conflict resolution skills and just basic communication skills. That stuck together, except... This book that I wrote, the original vision was for a tribe of 150. I don't know if you know that. Mm -hmm. It's called Dunbar's Number. Mm -hmm. And having studied tribes all over the world over centuries, tribes mostly got to about 150 and then they mutated. They split into other, other, other tribes. So I was shooting for that. I was shooting for 150. And what happened is we got to about 20 and people started grumbling and grumbling and basically... Uh, uh, we also had a thing, us as leaders, we had a de-rolling process. At some point in the, in the, in the uh, evolution of the group, we totally de-rolled as leaders and they blessed us. And then we became peers, which is what I wanted. I wanted a, you know, a group in which there was no specific leadership. I, I really wanted that. And so we, we met every week for many, many years. Mm. And what, what, was the, what was the inspiration behind that or the need that you saw? Um, we, we alluded to this earlier. There's so much alienation in our culture. And uh, because we've become so mobile and so wealthy, hardly anybody has community like, like some of us remember it back in the old days. So I was honestly arrogant enough to think that I could build community consciously and deliberately. And I'm going to tell you two more stories. This has been really hard. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we discovered from doing this all over the country, doing these trainings, we bring you know 30 people to a beautiful setting and we spend you know, four or five, six days together and learning all these skills. And then we'd, we'd send them out with all sorts of materials to go home and build a build a, build their own group, build, build a tribe. When stuff started shutting down, we, we, we already had developed a, an online Zoom teaching process like this. And we got the help from um, Chris Kyle, who you probably know, mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. 
to do an online thing. So we did a couple of online courses and they were so hard. They were just so difficult for complicated reasons. And, you know, we got started, started actually looking at the results of all of this hard visionary work. And it was sad, mm-hmm. you know, there, I missed something and I'm not sure what it was that I missed, but uh, it could be, I imagine that the kind of uh, social networking weaving skills that Zoe and I have was something that other people would have, and they just don't. Mm. And that's something that, honestly, if I could, I would, I'd give it to them. But so we've, I, I feel like, you know, it was a damn good try. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and uh, we struggled with it. And then uh, to make things even worse, I'll get into the visionary piece. There's, there's, there's a happy note coming up here. But uh, to make things even sadder, after uh, after 10 years, when, when COVID came in, there was uh, some people in our tribe, you know, I mean, meet every week, you know, that they were so scared. And I had studied it extensively. And I knew that the vaccines were dangerous. I knew that that's not something I was going to do. I knew the whole thing was specious at some level. And they started uh, being mean and then cruel and eventually vicious at a level where I couldn't, I, I was no longer willing to tolerate it. You know, it was one of Matt Conaghan in his teachings. He says, you do not have to to stay with abusive people. So I resigned. I resigned from something that was so precious. So, you know, like one of my life missions was to build this beautiful, wonderful tribe. And I resigned Mm. and I cried for a couple of months and then I went numb for a couple of months. And then I went into that grief phase for three months. It was really, this has been a tough year for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been tough for Zoe too. But now uh, what's happened is I've kind of popped out the other end. And because I had, uh, a lot of free space, so to speak. I started reaching out to people I've known nationally. I've been here 20 years. So there's people I've known that you cross paths socially and you kind of connect and you, you, you chit chat for five or 10 minutes and then you don't see them again for a year. And there's some of these amazing people, you know, yeah, Dr. Jerry and Ashi Deliverance. There's just some incredible, and I just, I deliberate, I'm pretty good at it. I deliberately reached out, you know, let's do lunch. Hmm. And we'd sit down and Dang, if we didn't just touch hearts and just we could hardly, you know. So I've got this whole new set of friends now that um, that share a very sophisticated psycho-political perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, my intention is to is to start over, honestly, and, and to create a tribe of 150. Mm. So it's not it's not devoted to intimacy, and it's not a survival thing. It's just a kind of a loving support thing where we can find some joy. And have a base in our life. That's what community is, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be big enough. It's got to be 100, 150, so that you have enough fluidity, enough flexibility. And, you know, th- it's not like this hasn't happened before. It's happened 100 million times. It's called churches. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's, you know, it's possible, but uh, it's going to require some, some pretty intensive sorting. So that's the process I've been doing lately is educating myself so that I can invite very precisely people that share my perspectives, Mm -hmm. which are pretty edgy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I hear the pain behind it. I think we all share the last two and a half years have been very painful because of the divisions that have been, you know, that have caused so many ruptures in relationships, regardless of our personal beliefs around COVID and the government's response and yeah. there's yeah. people that feel so passionately on all sides and, yeah. and beyond just COVID just there's it, we're in a time of just incredible divisiveness and yeah. politi- Charles, political violence and, yeah. and Charles actually says it's hard to know whether you're right or left anymore yeah exactly no it's the, the, 
even just studying that mm-hmm. is very sophisticated. I, I find Absolutely. myself listening to conservative people who I just couldn't tolerate at all. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. blank them out completely. But I'm open yeah. to listening to another perspective, which has been stunning. And I've learned a lot of good yeah. stuff. Well, that's where I, I wanted to go with this, right? So, so there's a thing about um, when we're building community yeah. that we really need some common shared values and perspective, right? That to, yes. for, for that community to feel safe and to thrive. And mm-hmm. at the same time, we're, we, we find ourselves in a moment of deepening entrenchment and um, making others wrong maybe the narrowest I've ever experienced around listening to perspectives that are different than ours. And so I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you, how do you relate to that paradox of like wanting a community of like-minded people while still not wanting to cause, you know, wanting to be in further divisiveness? Oh, that's, that's, that has been Charles Eisenstein's message for as long as I've known him, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's been, it's getting to be, you know, 14 years now. Mm -hmm. And I, I hold him as a friend. Um, that book is called Coronation, by the way. Mm-hmm, it's a new book. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's um, the reason it's um, close to my heart is he went through a very similar trajectory. It's like as a, as a very studious guy, he knew that there was two narratives going on. And he realized that if he spoke the other narrative, the non-mainstream narrative, that he was going to get attacked. And he had the courage. He had the courage to put it out. He wrote a, a, an essay called Coronation back, I think, in March, April of 2020, real early. And he was he had he had the courage to put out this other narrative and he was trashed. His publisher dumped him and he got, you know, hate mail from all over the place. But what also happened is he was speaking for millions of us that were feeling like as unvaxxed people, we were the new scapegoats because he, he talks also a great deal about um, how societies have been doing this forever. You know, burn the witches or hang those people because when societies get in trouble, they need to do, they, they feel this need to do something. So they, they pick another, you know, this was the, the, the Jews in World War II and they, they scapegoat them and they kill them and then they feel better and things are working great. So in this situation, it was the unvaxxed that were the, the scapegoats, you know, we were the murderers. And I mean, one of my best friends actually called me that because he was so stuck in that other narrative. So Charles, in his book, he talks about his trajectory of how he wrote. He found the courage to write it, knowing he was going to get trashed. And then he went into this tremendous self-doubt and wondering, but he was able to kind of gussy up and be brave. He, he mm-hmm. said that. I remember seeing that. It just moved me to tears. Like, be brave. God damn it. Speak your truth. Say who you really are. Whew. So I've been doing that. I've got a blog. I've done about 20 pieces out and, you know, trying to, because I've got, you know, people all over the world that I know that share my perspective. So I've been doing that. It's, it's, that's, that's been challenging also. Hmm. And the data just keeps pouring in, boy. Oh, it's like, a, it's like a tsunami. So anyway, thanks for listening to that. I just yeah. you know, I feel a little dicey about even talking about it, you know, because I know that I'm, well, that minority is shifting. You know, the minority that I was is, is growing right now because people are starting to see other people that they know die of unknown causes. And I've had two of my friends that I've buried mm. <laughs> too recently. I've shoveled the dirt, and put it on their, on their coffins, you know? So mm. I'm not, I know, I know I'm not the only one that's losing friends to, you know, to the vax. Yeah. I'm saying it, you know, very, you know, so this is what's happening. This is the this is the big pain that's coming down right now. So it's part of why I'm in a little bit of a push to get get a new uh, 
and we circle together. But it's a it's a river you can't push. So I'm, I'm just you know breathing and making my calls and getting together and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious how you you know as somebody that cares deeply about you know your own personal integrity and and connection to others and yep. you know carrying the you know the pain of this era that we're in. Like how yeah. do you how do you relate to your pain? How do you metabolize it? How do you, um, how do you work with your own pain and suffering as it arises being, being human here? Yeah, I, I cry pretty freely and I've got some friends I can cry with if I need to. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a loneliness in, it. at least there has been, you know, but like I say, I've been, I've been reaching out and finding absolute copacetic souls. They get everything I get about this situation. And, and those are the ones that I, I now have the intention to build into a, a full-blown, um, I'm calling it communi- <laughs> Communitas 150. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm building my vision into the title. <laughs> yeah. So I don't back off too soon again. Because what happened with the other one is it, it never even got close to being a tribe. It became a, um, like a clan. It became like a family. And it was tight and intimate and connected. But part of the downside of families, you can't get out. And if you have a social event, you have to invite everybody. You know, it's, it's, there's certain pressures in that family that um, became uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So now the new one, the Communitas 150, you know, it, it will grow to the, the appropriate size. That's, that's incredible. And is this a physical community? You're all living oh, yeah. in Ashland, Oregon. You're oh, all, yeah. you're sharing property or you're sharing, nope. like, what's the, nope. tell us that's a little bit about important. the governance. It's totally non-residential. Everybody uh-huh. has their own home. And we meet someplace, you know, if, if, if the living room is big enough, uh, if not, we'll, we'll rent a space. You know, it's, mm-hmm. like I said, there's like millions of churches that do that all the time. It's not like mm-hmm. it's something new. Yeah. So that's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Right. Non-residential. Just right on. Copacetic people choosing to be with each other, making a commitment to each other. Yeah. With, with, with some shared values and some skill building around uh, listening and empathy and, and kind of yeah. conflict resolution and, is there a, a purpose beyond connection? Are you, are you offering anything to the world? Is there like, is there a marketplace? Is there something you're building? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a group to do something in the world. It's a group to be with each other and to wow. support each other. And in that support, each of us can, you know, we do our thing in the world. And often, uh, you know, the, at least from my perspective, the forces we're up against, there's not a hell of a lot we're going to do, but there's a, like a thousand little things we can do. And so I see this uh, particular communitas, communitas 150 as supporting each other and doing all those little things to make a little difference to, to, as we watch the, as, as we watch the world change. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. As we begin to bring this to a close, I, you know, I think back about, you know, one of the, one of the gifts that I got through your work was just this um, deep appreciation and actually a need, I would call it a need for uh, elders in my life. And um, as a young man, oh my goodness, you, you, you knew me. I, I definitely needed to be blessed and seen by, by elders, right? And uh, it really helped me develop what I would just, you know, kind of relate to as like a healthy sense of self, right? Yeah. And, but in that process, like there is, I, it just became clear to me that our culture needs elders. Our culture needs the wisdom keepers to provide 
um, perspective based on life experience and deep study and practice. And just as we close here, I'm just wondering if there's anything in you as, as at this point in your life, an elder, <laughs> a wisdom carrier, if there's anything you'd like to just share with, with the community here mm-hmm. as some closing words. You know, I mentioned the warrior monk in which we learned paradox. We learned to be able to live in paradox. So that that is the one thing that I think has has stood me in, in, in good stead. I've been I've been able to look at uh, both sides of things. This big crisis lately has given me a look at this the, the other side, the other other narrative, and even the, even I, I I'm a very nonpartisan. I, I don't believe in partisan politics particularly, but it it kind of drives the, the, some perspective. So I I you know. Once again, through an enormous amount of pressure, I've been able to open my heart to looking at another, another, another view. And I do it. I do it skeptically. I don't just take it in. I, I'll check this out, and you know, if there's some truth there, okay, very cool. If not, gone. So that that would be my advice: is uh, whatever it takes, stay open to other possibilities. The system tries to rigidify us. Mm, yeah, and it tries to rigidify us into being like really good consumers basically thoughtless consumers. So anything we can do to actually pay attention to make our own wise decisions around our health and around right. our finances, around how we run our lives, how we, how we relate. <laughs> you are a really easy guy to bless. You know, like I remember you like this wide eyed, curious guy, like teach me. I'm really eager, eager to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope, I Wonderful hope I keep that, that eagerness uh, until <laughs> yeah. I'm an elder myself in a few years. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your your wisdom today, dear Morpheus, uh, dear, dear Morpheus Bill Cow. <laughs> it's uh, you've always been a, a guide for for so many of us, a few steps ahead, and bringing all of your passion and gift gifts and just giving them away so freely. It's um, you've blessed many, and um, so deep gratitude from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today and your wisdom throughout your life. And thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, Bill. Thanks for that. Thanks for that blessing, Luke. That that touches me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. Maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our Crazy Wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing. One thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy. 